0: Well, we like new things, don't we? Um, whether it be new clothes, a new house, new car, new toys, new gadgets. I thought about why we like things new, and part of it is maybe our frustration with the old. Maybe it doesn't work so good. Um, one reason I think we're all looking forward to new resurrected bodies is these don't work so good anymore the older you get. Um, but we like new. Sometimes it's the shiny that kind of catches our eye or, or, or something about just something old that you, you're tired of. It's just It's been around for so long or you look at it, you're like, oh, that's a, I got to get something new. Um, I'm so grateful God is into new. Um, matter of fact, I'll let Jesus tell you. While they were eating, Jesus took some bread and after a blessing, he broke it gave it to the disciples and said, Take this, take, eat, this is my body. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. For this is the blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now until that day when I drink it anew in my Father's kingdom. And after singing a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Jesus spoke of a new covenant. A new covenant. I think about that for a second. It's not that the old was horrible or the old was, but the old had served its purpose for sure. But Jesus spoke of a new covenant. The covenant God spoke of in the Old Testament, this covenant of Moses, this law was conditional upon Israel's obedience. Of course, we read over and over: Israel failed to keep its end of the agreement, and God had to bring down curses on the covenant people. But in the future, we're told God will establish, he has established a new relationship, not only with Israel, but Gentiles were included in it. And God instead wrote on new hearts. Uh, Jeremiah the prophet, Ezekiel, they all prophesied to a time when this new covenant would take place. And, And in each case, they all spoke of something else being new, that being a new heart. God would give us a new heart. He'd give us new life. And who hasn't? probably all look back at 2016 and think of struggles we had and challenges we had and, and moments where their old self reared up its ugly head and there was frustration and we have regrets and, and we wish things went different ways. But, but God's into new. He's into new starts. He's into new hearts. He's into a new life, which is what he's given us. And so when we come to the communion table, we celebrate a new covenant, which has made it possible to have a new heart, a new start, made it possible for us to have new life. And that's good news. And that's what we celebrate. And the church partakes of the benefits of the new covenant. Now, the night of his betrayal at the Last Supper, as we just read, Jesus gave the cup to the disciples. He said, this cup which is is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. We're told to partake of this cup and the bread as part of this new covenant that Jesus instituted in his death. And the new covenant is lived out from the inside out. That new heart. It's not like the old covenant, which was like the law of Moses, which was really lived, it seemed like, from the outside in. But God's given us a new heart. It's based on this new covenant. And so we as believers today are living under the new covenant where there's a new heart. We celebrate new life. And that is really my desire, and I hope it's our desire, and that's why we wanted to begin the new year with communion. Because communion is a place that we, we come and say, God, there, there's stuff in my life that's not right. It's not of you. And we repent, and we, we lay them at his feet. We claim forgiveness in Christ. We claim the promise that he has made it possible to walk in the newness of life. And how great would it be if everybody in this room laid it all at his feet and left here cleansed, renewed, and strengthened in what Christ has done for us. Isn't that the way to begin the new year? And so we want to do that. And so to do that, though, some of you just need time with God. You need time to confess some things, maybe, again, some luggage you brought in you need to set down and say, I'm not carrying that into this new year. And I want to allow you that time. And After a little time, the, as the elders will make their way up here, we'll pass the bread, and if you hang on to that, we'll share that together. And likewise, we'll do the same with a cup. And so... Why don't you spend some time with the Lord, and I'll have the men come up. Our Savior took the bread, and he broke it. He said, this is my body broken for you. Take this in remembrance of me. Our Savior took the cup. He said, this cup is my blood, which is poured out for you. Drink this in remembrance of me. Dear Lord, we we humbly come. Every single one of us in this room, I'm sure would acknowledge how unworthy we are to receive such a great gift a priceless gift of salvation through you. We thank you for your death, which has purchased us, redeemed us. We thank you for your resurrection, which has made it possible to walk in the newness of life. And Lord, my prayer for each of us this year is that we would understand and comprehend in a little greater way that if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. And that behold, all things have come become new. Help us to walk in that newness of life. To the praise and the glory of your name. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I'd you to stand again. Well, now that we've all had an opportunity to lay everything down and uh, begin a new start, um, because if that doesn't happen, what I'm about to say, it's probably going to be a a, a difficult, difficult thing. Um, But before we open God's word and look at what he would have to say to us, uh, let's ask God's spirit to teach us. Lord, I, I thank you for your word. Your word is truth. It's as true today as it's ever been. And we thank you, God, as we study your word. We study not the words of man, that these are God-breathed, and they're for us today, in this place, and at this time. And might your spirit not only teach us, but might your spirit do a work in our heart that only you could do change us convict us where that's needed refresh us lord help us to focus anew your, it's your name jesus i pray amen i was watching the end of the alabama washington game yesterday and one of the announcers said something along the lines of and this alabama team could be the greatest team college football history. You know, we, de- we debate a lot about what, what is great. Um, greatest quarterback, it could be the greatest song, it uh, could be the greatest moment here and there, whether it be a sport or, or any other moment, the greatest basketball player ever, and, and all those things that are debated about who the greatest is. And, and, uh, and there's a lot of opinions and, and a lot of different perspectives. Um, uh, there's some things that are absolute, like the greatest worship director, Jay, you know, that's, that's, that's given, amen to that, right? Where are you, Jay? We love you, baby. And, uh, but if you were around the dinner table and you were talking about, except for Jesus Christ, who's the greatest person ever? And what made them great? That'd be an interesting conversation. Abraham Lincoln, you know, you get a lot of names. Jesus answered the question, in Matthew 11, verse 7 through 11, I want to read this verse for you. Matthew chapter 11. As these were going away, Jesus began to speak to the multitudes about John. That'd be John the Baptist. What did you go out into the wilderness to look at? A reed shaken by the wind? But what did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's palaces. But why did you go out? To see a prophet? Yes, I say to you, and the one who is more than a prophet. This is the one written about whom it is written. Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. For truly, I say to you, among those born a woman, there's not arisen anyone greater than John the Baptist. And yet he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he, even. Interesting words. I mean, whenever you hear someone is great, there's a part of you that wants to know why, and there's a part of you that admires them, and you want to watch and you want to learn. It could be an area of your occupation. It could be an area of uh, whether it be music or sports or something. If, If you kind of ascribe the title to that person being great, You want to know why and what made him great. So the question would arise to me, what made John the Baptist great? How did he model a life that I could follow? Look at it this way. How will you be remembered? We know how John the Baptist is going to be remembered. How will you be remembered? And what does your life communicate? What did John's communicate? So let's consider a few things about John the Baptist. We're going to be in John 1 and John 3, bouncing back and forth, so if you want to kind of get your finger in a chapter there. He was a voice, but he was not the word. Look at John 1, 19 through 23. And this is a witness of John. When the Jews sent to him priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed, and he did not deny, and he confessed, I am not the Christ. They asked him, What then, are you Elijah? He said, I'm not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. And they said then to him, who are you? So we may give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I'm a voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as Isaiah the prophet had said. Now there's backgrounds to his answers. He's quick to start out by saying I'm not the Christ because Luke 3.15 tells us that there were people who were wondering if John the Baptist might be the Christ John the Baptist starts out and says, let's make one thing clear I'm not the Christ so if that's your motive if that's your thought let's let's erase that from your mind the question is are you Elijah that questions based on Malachi 4 5 where it says God says I will send the prophet Elijah before a dreadful day of the Lord now remember, there had been some three hundred and and plus to four hundred years of silence up to this point, and then this voice comes, John the Baptist. He's preparing the way, and they're asking, "Who are you? We haven't heard anybody in a long time." And you're here. Are you the Christ? I'm not the Christ. Are you Elijah? I'm not Elijah. He says, "Are you the prophet?" You see, Deuteronomy eighteen fifteen talked about one day there will be this prophet, the prophet who will arise. John the Baptist says, I'm not, that. I'm not that guy either. It's not who I am. And John's only means of identification he gives is, I'm a voice. It's who I am. I'm a voice. What is a voice? It's a vehicle, right? It's a vehicle to communicate, but he's not the word. You see, a voice stops, but the word of God, that endures forever. John understood that, he was just a voice. He was just a vehicle in which to communicate what God wanted him to communicate. And this voice cried out in the wilderness. It pointed to a coming Savior. And John accepted his calling. We read in John 3, verse 22 through 25. After these things, Jesus' disciples came into the land of Judea, and there he was spending time with them and baptizing. John also was baptizing in Anon near Salim because there was much water there. And they were coming and were being baptized, for John had not yet been thrown into prison. There arose, therefore, a discussion on a part of John's disciples with the Jews about purification. Now, as we read that, we would have to admit, and there's other descriptions of what John wore and what he ate, he didn't, I guess you could say, have the qualities of what we would call greatness. Uh, He didn't look the part. I mean, think about it. He didn't go to people. They came to him. Um, He didn't have what we would call greatness. He didn't have qualities we would prize in people we would consider great. We read in John 1, go there real quick, verse 6 and 7, there came a man sent from God whose name was John, and he came for a witness that he might bear witness to the light so that through him all men might believe He was just a man as a matter of fact, John 10.41 says He never performed a miracle in his life He was just an ordinary man But he was sent from God And he had a mission He came as a witness to the light So people could see the light But he himself was not the light That's very clear And how did he carry out his mission? If I could sum up John's mission It would be a great way to live life Matter of fact, all seminary students should take the class called John the Baptist's Ministry because it's remarkable what he did. Now, I could sum it up in three points, but there are three profound points in their life changing They really marked John's ministry. The first one was to clear the way, he came to remove obstacles. What he communicated was meant to remove obstacles that blinded people from seeing the Messiah. He came to clear the way. He then came to prepare the way. To prepare hearts by calling people to repentance so they were ready to encounter Messiah. They're ready to encounter the Christ. So he was to clear the way and prepare the way, and as challenging as those were, it's the third one that had to have been most difficult, and you can relate to this, because the third thing he had to do was get out of the way. Right? That's the tough one, isn't it? That separates the men from the boys in the ranks of Christianity, whether you and I can get out of the way. One of the reasons John the Baptist is considered great is he learned how to get out of the way. He knew how to get out of the way. As a forerunner, he was called to prepare hearts by calling people to repentance. He was a voice. You know, he accepted his calling, and you have a calling on your life. And a calling is not only what you are to do, but equally who you are to be. And so begin here. You have a calling on your life by God. You need to discover what it is. You need to carry out the assignment he has for you. And his calling starts with you being you in Christ. John the Baptist didn't try to fit the mold. I mean, he didn't dress, he didn't, certainly not GQ. I mean, he didn't try to fit the part of what other people perceived. He didn't fit the mold. He just was him. And he carried out what God had called him to do. He didn't go by Robert's rules of orders. He didn't fit other people's expectations. He just was who God created him to be, and he carried out his assignment, and he did it well. Perhaps you could say better than anybody who's ever lived. And he did what he was called to do in a way which Jesus referred to him as great. He kept true to who he was, and, and he was faithful to what God called him to do. In the midst of great challenges, we're going to look at one here coming up. And you see it in the passage I read in John 3, verse 22 through 25. It's easy to fly by these verses and think, well, what does this have to do with me or anything? But I don't want you to miss it. Verse 22, after these things, Jesus' disciples came into the land of Judea, and there he was spending time with them baptizing, and John also was baptizing near there. So you have John in his ministry. He's baptizing, calling people to repentance. He lingered there. Jesus comes into the area. Chronology suggests he stayed maybe up to six months in that area, and he's baptizing. Well, one of the legit questions is what kind of baptism. It's not of a believer in the post-resurrection sense. Probably a baptism as a sign of cleansing. Also, maybe a prophetic nature picturing full Christian baptism. But Jesus is baptizing. And now, understand John's ministry and Jesus' ministry had to happen at the same time, so John had someone to point to. And he did it well. He also learned that he had a part, but he was not indispensable. He had a role to carry. Verse 31 of chapter 1, he says, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. The thongs of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. In verse 31, I did not recognize him, Jesus, but in order that he might be manifested to Israel, I came baptizing with water. I baptize with water. That's my part, John said. But I came to reveal somebody else. I have a role, but I'm not indispensable. I came as a witness to the light, but I'm not the light. That's Jesus. That's the Messiah. And he said, when Jesus came, he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That word behold is a great word. It's not a one-time glance. It's an ongoing gaze. Behold, this is the Lamb of God. I have a part, I have a role, but I'm not indispensable. That's the one. He's the one who's preeminent. He is the one you need to focus on and follow. John clearly understood his part in ministry. He understood it was Christ who had hope. He understood it was Christ who could change Lives, but he didn't fall into a trap of comparisons. There's a subtle temptation here. Jesus' disciples are coming into John's territory, and John's disciples are thinking in terms of wait a minute, this is John's area, this is John's ministry. Hey, you guys go somewhere else. I mean, don't, I mean, it's kind of the essence of really the question they're asking in John 3 26 through 30. John chapter 3, verse 26 through 30. Listen to what it said. They came about to John. They said, Rabbi, he who is with you beyond the Jordan to whom you have borne witness, behold, he's baptizing, and all are coming to him. There's a concern here communicated. I love John's answer. John answered and said, a man can receive nothing unless it's been given him from heaven. You yourselves bear witness that I said I am not the Christ, but I have, seen, I have been sent before him. He who has the bride is the bridegroom. But the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because it's the bridegroom's voice, and so this joy of mine has been made full. He must increase, but I must decrease. John points it all back to Jesus. He doesn't fall for that subtle temptation of I'm losing people. To Jesus. I mean, John at one time had all these people were coming to him, numbers after numbers after numbers, but now they're all going to Jesus. And John says, Yeah, that's the way it's supposed to be. So it doesn't fall for that subtle temptation of comparisons. Matter of fact, John does such a great job of calling attention to Christ, not himself. That's one of the reasons that made him great. He called attention to Christ, not himself. He goes on in verse 31, John chapter 3. says, he who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth is from the earth and speaks of the earth. He who comes from heaven is above all. What he has seen and heard of that he bears witness and no man receives his witness. He who has received his witness has set his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent speaks the words of God For he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. He who believes in the Son is eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son shall not see life, for God's wrath abides on him. Another translation, God's wrath remains on him. He refused the spotlight. He didn't didn't fall for it, so to speak. And he didn't walk around trying to decrease himself. He walked around increasing Christ. Turning the spotlight from him onto Christ. That's what he did. He gave him praise. And when you and I increase Christ in our life, we turn the spotlight off ourselves, off whatever gifts we may have, off whatever talents we have. We take our spotlight off us completely and we zoom it in on him. That's what John the Baptist did. And he says some things remarkable in verse 31 through 36. I mean, John lays it down. I mean, for his disciples, like they never heard. If I could sum it up, he's saying, guys, listen, Jesus, he's all in all. I can't offer you what he offers you. I can only point you to the true one. That's all I got for you. He is all in all. He is the one you run to. He's the one you behold. And he gives a couple reasons for the supremacy of Christ." Verse 31, he says, Christ has a heavenly origin. He says, hey, guys, listen, he's straight from heaven. That's why I'm pointing to him. He's straight from heaven. And so I call attention to him. Verse 32, he says, his testimony agrees with God. And he says, guys, he's truth. He's pure truth. I mean, what men may speak might be true and it might not, but when Jesus speaks, it's completely always Pure truth. He's the preeminent voice. You listen to him. He's truth. Verse 35, he says, Christ has ultimate authority. John the Baptist highlights, God may have given me a sphere of influence, but God gave Christ all authority. All power is found in Christ. In all things, he says, Jesus is supreme. And so this transition it's complete as John the Baptist fades and Jesus moves into the full light Toby Mac has a great song and you should go listen to it he says, if you want to steal my show I'll sit back and watch you go and He talks about so just take it away I like that that's great Toby gets it and uh, and John the Baptist model for you and I it's one of the reasons God Jesus called him great Is he called attention to Christ, not himself. He acknowledged his calling is from heaven. He was obedient to that calling, but he basically says, I can be no more than a forerunner. That's my role, that's my part. I'm not indispensable, that's what I was called to do, but I'm not the light, I'm not the Messiah, and it's significant. My role is to fade and turn the spotlight on him. John understood his personal obedience led to Christ being honored. He goes and talks about I don't know if you picked up in verse chapter 3, verse 29. He said, He who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine. You see, the friend of the bridegroom in ancient Near Eastern culture, you you could say kind of held considerably more responsibility than a best man today, as we would call him. In addition to helping the bridegroom prepare his home for the eventual day when the bride came to stay he helped direct the wedding feast at the end of the betrothal period in other words at the end of the engagement period his most significant duty though was to guard a bridal chamber during the feast especially after the bride had slipped into the room unnoticed by the guests and no one except for the groom was allowed to go into the bridal chamber and what's kind of neat about the words Jesus said because when the friend of the bridegroom heard the groom's voice he stood aside His joy was complete when the groom arrived. When the groom arrived, his joy was to step back and let the groom enter in. It's a beautiful picture of what Jesus is saying. And John modeled it well for us. And it really is a mark of humility that takes joy and personal obedience. So God is exalted. So Jesus is moved into the spotlight. John did it well. You and I need to check ourselves when we hear ourselves say stuff like, I built this business. I built this house. My church is this size. It's not ours, and that's not our job. That's not our our role. It's not our part to call attention to anything in us. It's to call attention to Christ, who's responsible for for all the blessings in our lives. The only way to really make a difference in people's lives is to call attention to Christ. To raise him. You know, in 1907, a man named Jacob Starr, uh, he designed this ball that would be dropped on New Year's Eve in New York. It's been a few years since 1907, and the ball looks considerably bigger and brighter than it did, and, uh, and a whole lot of more light to it. But the, the dropping of the light was meant to uh, communicate the passing of time as it, as it dropped. And as Christians, yeah, we recognize the passing of time, but our role is not to watch a ball drop, it's to raise a king, to turn a spotlight on him. So whether it's people in Times Square or in the marketplace where we work or wherever we would go and recreate or vacation, it's to put the spotlight on him. And John did it better than anybody. What does that mean to you and I in 2017? within John 3:30 it's summed up as well as anything he must increase but i must decrease there must be a constant commitment in our lives to the increase of Christ and the decrease of self and this can there can be no loose uncertainty of this commitment jesus referred to it i guess you could say in denying ourselves There needs to be a constant commitment to the increase of Christ. Because really what happens in life is when when Christ is in first place, you're happy in second place. And when Christ is in first place, you're in the right place. Where you're where you need to be. And in order for you and I to maintain a clear understanding of our mission, of our part, you and I must be committed to Christ's increase and our own decrease. In order for you and I to have the ability to handle life's subtle temptations like John the Baptist had to face, you and I must be committed to Christ's in- increase and our decrease. There needs to be a constant commitment to the increase of Christ and a decrease of self. And I would call it one of those commitments that's a clear line in the sand commitment. And it's a call to commitment I call you to make this next year. And I know it's not an easy one. It's easy to say. But when you get to Wednesday and Thursday and all the temptations and all the challenges and all the the ways we could expend life and turn the focus upon us, sometimes we just need to go back to a commitment we made and say that I'm not going to do that because I'm committed to this. I always thought it interesting about wedding rings because they communicate two things. They communicate to everybody who I encounter that I marry. I'm an exclusive relationship to my beloved. But guess who else it communicates to? Me. I'm an exclusive relationship with my beloved. It's a reminder, isn't it? It's a reminder of a commitment, a covenant I made some 25 years ago, as is yours if you have a ring. You see, sometimes we need reminders Sometimes we need visual reminders of commitments we made. And that's significant in our life. Because when it comes to this, it takes a constant commitment. And today I'm calling you to make one. We don't often do this here. Maybe we should do it more. I'm not going to ask you to slip up your hand, I'm not going to ask you to stand what I'm going to ask you to do is come up front. A clear line in the sand saying, this next year I'm committing to the increase of Christ and the decrease of self. And I want to give you a reminder of that when you get up here. And so as we bow in prayer, take some time with the Lord, and if that's, if that's your commitment, you come up here. So let's bow and spend some time with the Lord. And as God moves you, you come up here. Don't if, if you're not at that place, that's okay. Young people, this is for you too. This isn't just for us old folks. It's for everybody in here who says, you know, I want to commit to the increase of Jesus. I want to I turn the spotlight on him, not me, this coming year. And so bow and spend some time in the Lord, with the Lord. I'll be up here to, to join with you, and, and then we'll pray for you. So spend some time with the Lord. please forgive us for those things we've held so tightly those things we've prized more than you forgive us for those times when maybe no other person noticed but deep within us we wanted the spotlight forgive us for that God I'm so grateful for each person who's come forward who says, I no longer want to live for me. That's a small life. I want to live for Christ. I want him to increase. I want the spotlight to be on him in my life. I thank you for each one. And I recognize God in our lives this coming year. It's not going to be easy. There's going to be times that the enemy comes. Be times that circumstances arise that will tempt us, that will challenge this very commitment we make this morning. And it's in those moments, Holy Spirit, I pray you'd raise up, that you'd help us to look back to this moment where we stood at this place, at this time. When we once again, God, stand in this commitment. And we know we could never commit; we could live this out in our power. We know we're so utterly dependent upon you, Holy Spirit. So we yield to you. So you, Jesus, the Son of God, would be raised and honored, and all would see you in us. If we recognize, Lord, as being your child. It's no longer we who live, but you who live in us. And so we honor you. We commit to you having the spotlight of our lives shine upon you. In Jesus' name.